introduce our speaker this morning. Most of you know him as Gary, but he is Dr. Gary Habermas, and he is an expert um, on the resurrection and many things. I went to his website. He actually has a website, GaryHabermas.com, and there's wonderful resources there that you can find. Why don't you plan up, Gary? But um, one of the things that I really appreciate about him is that he has made this his life study. And, and so when you talk about the resurrection, he's one that you want to talk to. Um, my son was watching a documentary recently, and Gary was featured in it. And when we talked to him about it one Sunday morning, he said, yeah, I do, he has done so many of those that he forgets like where they're going to show up because people um, talk to him about this topic. And so I just want to just celebrate the fact that we have someone like Gary in our midst who can be an awesome resource to help us understand what I was just talking about for the last several weeks about the resurrection. And we're going to talk more about that, or he's going to talk more about that this morning. And I'm really excited because this helps us understand the incredible base that we have for our faith. So, Gary, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you very much. Pastor Mark. I told him I was Gary this morning. Well, folks, I'm really glad to be with you. I, this, some of you said I've seen this lecture before. Well, that's because I've done it a lot, like 2,000 times. That's true. Um, let me turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I so appreciate Mark's last uh, five messages on 1 Corinthians 15. I was reading a Christian scholar's blog the other day, and he said, Christians should be involved in action. We should be doing things for the Lord, many things in Scripture. Jesus said the second greatest command is to love your neighbors yourself, pretty radical, as yourself. But he went on to say, we should be doing things, but if we're not grounded in theology as a springboard to going out, that church will fall apart. It'll have no, nothing grounding it and no basis for that. Mark's been working on that basis for five years, five years, five uh, sermons, and we've been doing it here, and I want to talk this morning about the greatest single message in all of Scripture. More about that in just a second. But I'm going to, to take your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. I'm pre pretty much going to use two texts, 1 Corinthians 15 and the beginning of Galatians 1, the and the, uh, the end of Galatians 1, beginning of Galatians 2. Just those two texts. But 1 Corinthians 15 starts like this. Paul went to the Corinthians. And we know from the Acts, there were a lot of philosophers here. And he was debating with them in Acts chapter 17. He uh, starts somewhere else, and then he comes down to Athens. And, I mean, you know, I teach philosophy. And I know what it's like to talk to philosophers. They're a hard breed to talk to. And by the end of Paul's sermon, people are coming to Christ among the philosophers. This is not normal. <laughs> but he starts like this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I, when I came to Corinth, he's reminding them, so when I came to Corinth, I gave you the gospel that I was preaching. First two verses. He said, and if you believe it, you're saved. And if not, you're not. Now, that word believe in 1 Corinthians 15, I had a guy tell me one time, Christianity's too easy. All you got to do is believe something like um, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. That's enough. And you're in heaven. 
Uh, not so. In the New Testament, the word believe means to commit. I think the closest language we have in English is the marriage ceremony, I do. Two words, two words can hook you up for life. We better know what we're doing, right? And commitment to Jesus, two words, I do, can hook us up for life. Because as John and Peter say, to believe means to walk in his steps. That's not salvation by works. The walking comes after the I do, right? Just like it does in marriage. So that's the beginning. And then he says this in verse 3. He says, I gave you what I was given, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose again from the dead the third day according to the Scriptures. And then here comes a list of appearances. Two, two single persons, Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, and three to groups, the twelve, all the apostles, a larger group, and a group called the 500. And then Paul adds his name to this list and makes it a third individual and says, verse 8, last of all, he appeared to me. Folks, 1 Corinthians 15, there's a reason Mark was preaching on that, is the key resurrection passage and the longest resurrection passage. Luke 24 is almost as long, but 1 Corinthians 15, 58 verses. And it ends with that point. Go out and do something about it. But that's verse 58. Before we go out and do something, we have to be grounded. What I'm going to do today is pace off a timeline for this whole thing. Again, many of you have heard this, but there's a lot of working parts. It's not, it's not complicated like philosophy. I mean, it's not detailed in theory, but there's a lot of moving parts. And what I'm going to do is start down here. And uh, let's say that's creation down there. That's 2021. Hopefully that line's going a little bit longer unless the Lord comes back. We're going to do a little strip here in the middle. That's only 60 years. 60 years. And here's what I want to say before I start. If I think about this. I said this is the most important topic in the world. The death, the whole gospel, the gospel message is a minimum, but the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We sang so much about the DD Day, wonderful worship service, wonderful. To remind me, because that takes us there, and this grounds it before we get there. This is the data. These are the data. Okay? So, let me tell you something kind of earth-shaking. It is earth-shaking. If Christ was raised from the dead, Christianity is true. You ever think about that? You might not be able to answer a hundred Bible questions, even PhDs. There's a lot of questions where they're going to sit down and have five people and four views. You don't have to solve everything. We should work on those things. Don't get me wrong. We should work on those things. But, but I could be in a university and I could be a lecturer and someone could say, what about the genocide passages in the Old Testament? Well, first of all, I don't think it's genocide. Secondly, let's talk about what happened. But if they try to get me off the subject, I'm doing resurrection, I say this. Do you have a point? Yeah, what about the genocide passages? Well, do you have a point? Yeah, well, if that's a problem, do you have a point? If the guy's getting a little ticked, like often, someone's going against you. And you go, look, I may not be able to answer everything. Genocide, the genocide thing, there's many, many books on. But if Christ was raised from the dead, 
if he's the son of God who died for us, who was raised from the dead. As a friend of mine just said in an essay that I read this week, if Christ is the son of God who died on the cross for us, who was raised from the dead, game, set, and match. It's over. We don't have to settle everything else. It's done. And Christianity is true. What we're going to talk about this morning is game, set, and match. How do you know it's true? This is 30 AD. Some, the second most popular date is 33 AD, but this is the most popular one. 30 AD day is the date where Jesus died on the cross. And in very quick order, he was buried and rose from the dead. Now, when you ask a Christian, how do you know that's true? The typical answer goes like this. Well, have you heard of the Gospel of Mark? Approximately, some people now are bringing it back, the date back, but approximately 40 years later. And the way the critics date it, just so you know where the critics are, it doesn't change anything. Matthew, 50 years later. Luke, 55. And John, 60 years later. 60 plus 30, 90, 95, right about in there. 60 years. And here's the critics' complaint. Oh, come on. 60 years is way too long to remember something. Really? All right. I didn't go to the people I thought could answer this question here. I'll just take a chance. How many of you can remember something you did at least 60 years ago, and you know you know the details? How many of you? There's about, from what I can tell, about 15 hands going up. You know the kind of things I remember? Children being born. I do. Things like that. And we're not going to... We're not going to take anything when someone tells us you got your facts wrong. Yeah, were you there? 60. But critics don't know what else to say, so they go, well, 60 years is too far. Let me tell you something. This is not a bad example. It's a good example. Alexander the Great is one of the best-known people who ever lived in history. If this is Alexander's death down here, Earliest source for up until that time, the greatest military gen general who ever lived. By the way, you know who his tutor was when he grew up? Aristotle. Knock, knock, knock. Honey, your teacher's here. Aristotle. How do we know this stuff? The earliest source for Alexander is not the best source for Alexander. The earliest source for Alexander is 300 years later, to be exact. 280. But the best sources for Alexander are, are Plutarch and Arian. You know how many times you've got to go around from here? This is his death. That's John down there by the table, the 60 AD. Here's Alexander for Arian and Plutarch. All the way around this auditorium, right back here. That's how long it is. It's between four and a quarter and 450 years later. Almost half a millennium. And what did critics say? Yeah, you want to read about Alexander? Go read Plutarch and Arian. 400? Not an issue. Actually, it's more. Four and a quarter and 450. Jesus? Oh, come on, 60 years later. How fair is that? The Gospels align up fine. But I'm going to do something different from this point on. I'll give you a second argument. And this is 1 Corinthians 15. Stronger than the Gospel argument is Paul. 
Paul is our earliest New Testament source. Critics unanimously admit most of the books that have his name on it, including the two I'm using, 1 Corinthians and Galatians. And Paul starts writing a mere 20 years. 1 Thessalonians, usually thought to be the first New Testament book. 1 Thessalonians is written about 50 A.D., subtract 30, 20. And by the way, when 1 Thessalonians begins to be written, they don't start telling people about how Jesus is the Son of God, Adonai, as we sang in more than one song today. By the way, Adonai, if you go back, Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God's raised from the dead, we'll be saved, that he's Lord. Three verses later, Paul quotes the Old Testament, and it says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord there in the Old Testament is Jehovah. This happens many times in the New Testament. A name for Jesus was a name for Jehovah in the Old Testament. Deity, we have plenty of texts beginning very early. Okay, now what I'm going to do is remind you how we do history. History needs a lot of component parts, but here's the two main ones. If you have early, from this time, if you have early eyewitnesses, if you have, see, you can have eyewitnesses and they can be 40 years later. I heard of a man one time who was writing his memoirs of World War II 40 years later. You can have eyewitnesses that write late. But the material on Jesus is eyewitness material and early. And critics admit it. This is one of the best kept secrets today. Critics. How do I define critics? Somebody with a terminal degree in a relevant field, New Testament theology, classics, a terminal degree, they know the area, and they concede this, and many of them, this will surprise you, many of them are atheists, agnostics, not uh, by their own definition, non-Christian, and skeptics. One of those four or more than one. And they admit what I'm going to do from this point on. They're going to admit this data. Maybe they hope you don't find out. I don't know. Maybe they don't want you to use this. Here's the death of Jesus. We have a half dozen arguments that they allow that between, and the sources are from 30 AD to 36 AD. Okay, now hang with me. John is 90, and it beats Alexander to death. By the way, I've got a Buddhist book at home, and the author starts this way. Buddhist scriptures is called. And the author starts this way. Page one. He said, we don't have sources like Christians have. He says, y'all have the words of your Lord. We don't. Y'all have the words of those who study under your Lord and those who study under those who study under your Lord. We don't have any of that. He says, all the sources in this book are 600 to 800 years after Buddha died. That's half again as much as Alexander. So I got a secular example and a religious example. But here's Paul. Paul starts 1 Thessalonians. He lays it out. But the best of the data are back here. The sources are early, and I'm going to go now if you make a conscious, if you make a note here, to Galatians 1 and 2. All right, here's how it works. Jesus died in 30 A.D. 
just two to three years later, in that group of skeptics I just mentioned, everybody concedes this. Jesus dies here, and two to three years later, Paul becomes a believer because he's on his way to Damascus and does not believe, and he ends up saying, I do to Jesus before that day is over. In fact, he said, Jesus appeared to me. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, last of all, he appeared to me. Okay, so first thing that happens after this event, big, big event now, Paul becomes a believer just two to three years later. Paul started preaching. Uh, these are hard to explain briefly, but they're called creeds in the New Testament. There's dozens of them. I just quoted one. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You notice the da-da-da-da-da to that saying? Nine, up to 90% of Jesus' audience was illiterate. How do you teach people doctrine when they can't sign their name? Well, I'll tell you how we do it. Here's a second example. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Jack and Jill went up the hill. Here's a religious example. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was, once was blind, but now I see. And you can sing that, and many do sing it and can't sign their name. That's how we teach doctrine to people, and that's how Jesus taught in those days. The New Testament is full of those, and they're very, very early. Paul apparently knew a bunch of them before he went to Damascus. These are called, by the critics, these are called pre-Pauline creeds. You know what that means? That means before this happened to him, they were in existence, he was quoting them, and he was not happy. Then he meets Jesus. Oh my, that's you. I've been hearing about you. This stuff makes me angry. Now I'm good with it. I'm on board. That's what happened on the road to Damascus. So, Jesus dies. These creeds are flying around. There's dozens of them in the New Testament. Paul has more than anybody else. He has more books than anybody else, too. But he's got them in there. I just read you one. Well, I said the words. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and following. Notice his words. I gave you what I was given. Whoa. I gave you what I got before I was in the camp. I, it's called pre-Pauline creeds. So start, and everybody believes these things are in existence. Many, many. There's dozens of them. Paul knew them. So these creeds are around. 60 is not bad. The 55 example, the 50 example, the 40 example, all the way back here, 1 Thessalonians. These are great. Better is right on top of the events, early and eyewitnesses. One German scholar, his name is Gerrit Ludemann, an atheist New Testament scholar. Here's what Ludemann says. Jesus died. And he said they began teaching the message. I can't even move over for this one. He said they began teaching that message immediately. There's a Greek word for this. It's kind of a cool word. And there's a New Testament word. It's called homologia. They're sayings, the original sayings. 
Jesus dies. These sayings spread immediately. Paul's angry. He gets them here. He sits there while Stephen dies. Stephen probably quoted several of them in the sermon. Paul dies right here. And then a whole bunch more come out before 1 Thessalonians 15. Sorry, 1 Thessalonians gets written. And before 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is just a few years after 1 Thessalonians. Early 50s. So we got all these sources after just 20 to 25 years. And the earliest of them are, in the words of Garrett Ludeman, immediate. Immediate. All right, here's a couple more of them. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul goes up to Jerusalem. Galatians 1.18. He became a Christian, and he went up to Jerusalem. He said, I spent 15 days with Peter and James. You know something? Paul knew how to do history. I'm not making like a silly little comment. It's kind of a duh. Paul was a Pharisee. You know what Josephus, Jewish historian, tells us about Pharisees? They were the scholars. So were the Sadducees. There were two groups. But the Pharisees taught, Josephus says, by repetition and by having disciples and by passing on the things that get written down later in Jewish lore. Paul was a Pharisee. He knew how to interview. He knew how to study. And he does the research for us. So, three years after his conversion, here we go again, here's the cross. Two to three years, Paul's conversion. Three years later, he gives us the date and critics accept it. Three years later, I went to Jerusalem. It's either plus five or plus six, depending on whether you think Paul was saved at two years or three years. Plus five or six. He goes to Jerusalem, spends 15 days with Peter and James. What's the theme that they were talking about? Well, what's Galatians about? Let me give you a theme of Galatians in a sentence. It's all about the gospel. It's a deity, death, resurrection, Jesus. Get it right. You make it too big, it's heresy. You make it too small, it's, it's heresy. Preach it the right way. So he goes up to Peter. Now, what do you think he would have asked Peter? Here, this would have been my first question if I were Paul. Hey, guys, our backgrounds, Peter, James, and Paul, we're, we're, we're not too cool. I get that. I'm the worst. I don't deserve to be called an apostle. I turned Christians in and watched them die. Uh, James, not trying to get on you, dude, but when you grew up, you didn't even believe in them. You were a skeptic. Peter, don't need to remind you, you denied him three times. By the way, if you're writing this out, footnote. Footnote. The three biggest names. Peter, James, the brother of Jesus. And Paul, God uses people whose lives were messed up. That's just a little footnote there. So practice comes out of this, but you have to get the theory. Then you have to put shoe leather on it. So here's my question if I'm Paul. Hey, guys, I've heard rumors, but I want to hear it from you. What did it look like after what's often called Black Saturday? when Jesus appeared to you on Sunday and your whole world turned around. If you tell me how he looked to you, I will tell you my testimony on how he looked to me. But you first, because yours came first. What a meeting. Just a few verses later. By the way, there's a Greek word in Galatians 
It's called hysteresi, big word. But there's a little root word you're going to recognize. The root word of hysteresi is a Greek word, H-I-S-T-O-R. It's the Greek word from which we get the English word history. Paul was interviewing, talking through this material. When? Salvation. Damascus. Peter and James, 5 to 6. He's interviewing them right now. He goes back, still before 1 Thessalonians is written. In Galatians 2, he went back 14 years later. And here's what it says, Galatians 2, 2. I set before them the gospel that I had preached to see that I was running, see that I was not running in vain. But what? Yeah, I wanted to tell them what I was preaching to the Gentiles for these 14 years. I want to make sure they and I were on the same key here. Paul, I'm kind of really surprised, but I'm really glad because you're making sure the deity, death, and resurrection are all in a row. Well, okay, don't talk, don't, don't drag us along here. Galatians 2 2. You set the gospel before them. What was their response? Keep reading. They added nothing to me. Five words in English. They added nothing to me. And then in verse 9, right after Paul gives them the gospel, in verse 9, they gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. I, I don't know about what you guys think about this. We usually lay hands on people who are... We have prayer up here in front. We had it last week. Right? For who? A missionary. Usually you put hands on people when you're sending them out. That means they are their theology is legitimate. We don't lay hands on heretics. That's not our practice, not that we know of. They laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out. They approved the gospel they preached. Where does this go again? 30, Jesus dies. They preached it. I, don't I can't move. They preached it, according to Ludeman, immediately. Paul knows these creeds. He comes to Jesus two to three. And three years later, he's in Jerusalem. And then he hears it again later. Again, let me say this. Critics admit all of this. And then they go, resurrection? Eh, I'm not so sure about that. Okay, okay well, you, you believe what you want. A lot of influence of worldviews here. Someone just told me yesterday. They said, I'm witnessing to my sister. We're going through the resurrection message. She doesn't want to believe because she doesn't like the change that it would make in her life. See, there's a lot of other things besides we reject your history. The history is true. The question is, you, you can think you're dating somebody that's the neatest person you've ever met in your life. But that doesn't mean you're going to say, I do. The data are there. The question is ours. Paul ends the 1 Corinthians 15 like this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I'm going to back up to verse 57 for a second, but he starts 58 like this. Here's what's true because of the resurrection. Three things. Number one, be steadfast. Folks, I've got a PhD student who does nothing. He's a former pastor. He does nothing but talk to doubters. He's been doing this for only about three years. Christians who are walking away from their faith or feared that they're going to, he's talked to over 1,000 doubters in three years. There's a plethora of doubt 
in our world today. First thing Paul says is, be steadfast. We've got the greatest foundation of the world. Remember theory first, now practice. Let's go out there, let's talk about it. Let's do it. Let's love your neighbors yourself. Second greatest command. And we need to be steadfast. Number two, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I say it this way. What you do for God before you're saved, according to the Bible, doesn't really amount, it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. After salvation, what you do for the Lord determines the capacity to which you'll enjoy eternity. Wow. Nothing here and heaven and enjoying everything there. Yeah, and I love the word enjoy. The scripture teaches that. Everything that happens after you trust Christ, everything you do for the Lord, with the Lord's power, after the Lord comes into your life, determines the capacity which you'll enjoy heaven forever. Okay, that's one. Be steadfast. Number two, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. By the way, next verse, Paul's taken up a collection for poor believers in Jerusalem. That's the shoe leather that follows from the theology. And here's the last one. Back up a couple of verses before 58. We sang it today. Great song. Paul taunted death. When you read the commentaries, it looks like it could be poetry. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? That's not what Paul's doing. Read the big guys, the biggest guys in the world. Paul is taunting death, like we sang. He's going, death, you got something for me? You've got nothing. What, what, what? Yeah, I know. I know you can kill me. Yeah, believe me, I've been beat up a lot of times. I know you can do stuff, but you're a loser because Jesus was raised from the dead. You may have missed the news. He's up. You're down. There's eternity. I'm working. Do what you will. But you're going down. That's the bottom line. Death gets conquered. Be steadfast. Go out and do something. And take salvation to the bank because it depends on the Lord. It doesn't depend on us. Folks, this is the greatest message in the world. I'll just end by what I said at the beginning. If the deity, death, and resurrection of Christ are true, Christianity follows. Even if you can't explain the whole rest or any other issues, it's true. Because it gets you all the way to heaven. It starts at the cross, it gets you all the way to heaven, and it's personal. Let's pray real briefly. Lord, thank you for your word. This is about you, not about us. Lord, thank you for what you've given us. I pray for a great day-to-day living in light of your word. I pray, Lord, that we would, now that we have it, Lord, help us to do unto others and to love our neighbors as ourselves, even as you taught us. Go and do likewise, you said. Lord, help us today to be more committed to you than ever before. From now till eternity, we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.